Welcome to the Property Voice Podcast, helping you to navigate safely through the world of property investing. Get the lowdown and updates, insights and outcomes on all matters property with a splash of entertainment along the way. The Property Voice, a voice to trust among the crowd. Now, let's get started with your host, Richard Brown. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Property Voice Podcast. My name is Richard Brown and as always, it's a pleasure to have you join me again on the show today. Now, (laughs) I did have two ideas in mind for the theme for this week's show. I guess you could call one a hard subject and the other one a softer one. The hard subject was going to be an analysis into house price inflation versus uh, prices or retail prices and wage inflation and trying to understand how house price growth has consistently outperformed these other two measures of inflation for such a long period of time. In truth, I wanted to undertake a little more research uh, than I allowed myself time to, to do that topic uh, justice. However, if you think it could be interesting, just maybe let me know. The other option, in my personal opinion at least, is no less important than the technical insight into different inflationary measures with with regard to property. Granted, some of you might be shouting at the screen right now, please give me some of that harder content, but hear me out as I explain what on earth Woo Woo Wednesday is all about and why you should pay attention to it, even more so perhaps than the technical stuff. Woo Woo then, here we go. Okay, so let's get on with this week's featured topic with Property Chatter. Okay, so a little bit of context and background on the whole Woo Woo Wednesday thing. It was really inspired by a conversation I had with uh, a lovely lady who I've come to know pretty well over the last few years. And we've done some work together in in property and she's definitely one of the one of the good good people out there. And uh, I'm not going to use her real name. I'm going to try and protect her identity, in fact, if I can. So I'm going to be a little bit vague with some of the information, but I need to share some of it just to kind of get the point across. But let's call her Jane. So Jane inspired today's episode. And, um, you know, let, let's just talk a little bit about what's happened, if you like, um, culminating in, in what, what our conversation was over the last over the last week. Well, Jane wanted to work in property full time after a redundancy event a couple of years ago. And she had a small amount of cash to invest, but not quite enough to realize the full financial goals that she had at the time or indeed needed. Therefore, she worked on some more of the creative strategies out there, such as rent to rent. So traditional buy to let, for example, wasn't really going to to do it for her because essentially she could probably put her money into one property and then she'd be done. And it wasn't really enough to realize certainly an income replacement strategy that, uh, that she was looking for. In addition to working on the uh, property business, the rent-to-rent strategy and other related um, strategies, she also had a separate business outside of property. And without revealing what the sector was, it was one that required a specialist skill set to deliver, which she herself didn't have. So she was the business and the marketing side of it, and um, she would need, if you like, some specialist to come in and deliver the other side of it. So you can perhaps see there was perhaps a dependency there. Um, without going too much into it. However, in both the property uh, side of things and indeed on the business side of things, the non-property business, there became something of a clash of values. 
on the uh, property partnership side of it, there was there was just a you know perhaps a um, how do I put it a mismatch in 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 understanding of some of the commercial realities in uh, in running uh, some kind of property management business, which was a part of what she was looking for. And, um, you know, someone was looking for her to, to kind of give quite a lot and not necessarily get quite a lot in return. And, you know, that, that put a lot of uh, pressure on her in one particular situation. And it was just, you know, questionable as to whether it would be worthwhile. So there was a clash of values that existed, you know, in that particular arrangement. I'm trying not to go too deep into it, uh, but hopefully you're picking up the, the sentiment, at least, of what, uh, what, what was the situation here. And indeed, with the business, the one with the specialist skill set, the uh, the partner, you know, basically tried to cut her out for ones of a better description of uh, of of a of a commercial contract that the business had. And um, you know, I think probably many people would think that uh, having some sort of trust and integrity might be uh, might be important in having some sort of uh, partnership arrangement. But it seems that that wasn't necessarily the case. Uh, there wasn't an open dialogue. There was uh, perhaps a, a wish to bypass and, and profit personally rather than actually uh, putting everything into the pot or at least talking through the uh, the situation. So, yeah, clash of values is what happened. And so I suppose after several years of sweat, sweat equity and realizing that perhaps it was a little bit too hard and, and perhaps going against the grain, and those are my words, and I'll come back to that in a minute, um, Jane decided that uh, she was actually going to quit She's going to quit the uh, the business, the joint venture business that she'd started with this other partner, and indeed the property strategy uh, strategies, the creative strategies that she was working on, um, and was instead going to work, uh, return to work in a freelancing capacity in her specialist area, which was not none of those two areas in fact, sure fact. And really, I guess the fundamental is she she needed an income, and she was going to derive it from what she was good at. But she wasn't going to necessarily lose sight of property investing as a as a great vehicle uh, to to accumulate over the long term, to as a storage of wealth, etc. And so, the idea being was to generate income from what she was good at, and perhaps start to set aside and rebuild, if you like, the investment fund to come back and uh, and do something in property, perhaps more passively, uh, perhaps over a next more extended period of time. And so to concentrate on what she she knows best and to a large extent from what I could understand at least enjoyed very well as well and was very very proficient as at rather so in in our conversation many of the points I'm about to share were raised mostly by me and uh, it all sounded a little bit woo woo perhaps uh, certainly when we were having the conversation and that's where the um, uh, Jane actually responded it uh, I was it was getting a bit woo woo and it's not even woo woo Wednesday so um, <laughs> I'm sure woo woo Wednesday has a very specific meaning uh, in Jane's household but um, that's what gave inspiration for the title today but I think you're going to see that perhaps it's not all quite as woo-woo or out there or soft and cuddly, touchy-feely as uh, perhaps it might all be, uh, be starting to sound. I would actually say absolutely not. It is in fact vital to understand some of the points I'm about to share with you today. Not only to understand them in fact, but to practice them in our, in our lives, including of course in our property business. There needs to be a balance between the harder, more technical stuff and the softer, more emotional or thoughtful side of things. It's a yin-yang kind of equilibrium that we're after, after all. After, after all? Yeah, you know what I mean. So 
I've got a number of points I wanted to, to cross over today. In fact, if you go to the show notes, I describe them as talking points, and it's not a full script or transcript of, uh, of the show. So I'm going to sort of add a little, bit, a little bit, actually, as we go through. Let's see how this goes. But the first point I really wanted to share, if you like, under, under the general theme of this Woo Woo Wednesday, what were these themes that came out of the conversation with Jane that kind of stuck with me and I really wanted to share with you today? Well, the first one is, is our instincts. We, we need good instincts. And, and there's two types of, uh, or, oh, yeah, there's two types of instinct, if you like. There's intuition and gut. And um, I've previously spoke about Alan, Sir Alan Sugar, or his Lord Sugar, isn't he now? Yeah, Lord Sugar on The Apprentice, and how you can almost see him getting in touch with his gut uh, as he's trying to deliberate who he should fire from The Apprentice. But, um, you know, you can actually see him just trying to connect. And I think he's deliberately doing that. What does he feel about it? What's the sensation that he feels right down there in the gut? But uh, I think the, the point I noted in, the, uh, in my prompters for, for discussing it with you is if it looks like a duck, acts like a duck, and quacks like a duck, then it's probably a duck. So in other words, you need to look at the indicators to be able to determine what it actually is. And that could be a joint venture partner, because that's how I started. That's how I introduced this piece today. But it could be a property deal. It could be a deal sourcer. It could be a letting agent. It could be anybody we encounter or any type of uh, project that we, we want to cover in property. So we need to develop good um, instincts and in particular, good uh, intuition and a gut feeling. Now, if you don't trust your gut, then get someone around you that uh, you can trust, who has good instincts, is, is what I would say here. The second sort of dimension is judgment and thought. So that's kind of, it's a little bit, it's a little bit different. This is kind of of the mind. So intuition is more of the gut, if you like. It's instinctive. Judgment and thought is more of the mind. It's thinking things through. It's being more rational, if you like. So in this respect, what I was actually suggest is have, have some hard and fast rules. I call them criteria. Um, when I'm evaluating a project, I can say yes or no quite quickly because I default to a set of rules or guidelines that I, that I, t I tend to work with. And it just helps me. I don't get caught into extended conversation. Sorry, that one's not for me. It doesn't meet my minimum criteria. Oh, oh, really? <laughs> you know, often get that kind of response. So, yeah, I'm sorry. And they ask me, what is your criteria? And I can rattle it off, you know, a number of bullet points quite quickly. And it's interesting to see who pursues the conversation and who gives up at that point in time. So we need to have this uh, balance, if you like, between our intuition and our judgment, our gut and our mind uh, in terms of our instincts. And, and equally, we need to be able to manage and control our emotions. I'm sometimes guilty of this, of, you know, uh, in the moment, just feeling an emotion and, you know, just maybe hanging on to it a little bit too long. So I've learned to you know, push it away and come back to it later, distance myself from my emotions to some extent. It's part of the reason actually why I have investment rules. So it's not like, yeah, 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 let's go for it. It's like, hang on a minute, let's just think this through for a minute. Let's sit on it. Uh, or at least if I have to act quickly, let's defer to some rational judgment. But also, if I'm, who, are the, who am I dealing with? What are my feelings? What's my instinct and my intuition telling me about the people? So I'm doing this combination and I'm trying to minimize my emotions because, you know, sometimes we can just love the chase. Um, you know, the prospect of high returns and go after the deal to win, to close the deal and all that sort of stuff. So um, in this respect, what I would suggest is to be aware of our investor personality type and indeed our investment biases. 
And I covered this a couple of weeks ago. Um, so I'm not going to go over it again now, but just look it up. A couple of weeks ago, I, I covered investor personality types, of which there are four, and uh, and a number of invest, investment biases that we could have. There's around about 188 of those, but there's about a dozen or so uh, core uh, investment biases that we could fall into and fall foul of. And, and some of those are emotional. So I don't know if you, you know, to maybe illustrate, if, if you find yourself, I do sometimes, watch sport. And when I watch sport, I like to take sides. I mean, obviously, I've got my own team. But even, you know, if I'm a neutral watching a game, I like to choose, you know, who, who would like to win. And isn't it interesting that when you do that, whether it's your own team or you've chosen someone that you want to um, uh, root for, if you like, literally today, and I, I do apologize for anyone of Italian descent, but I saw uh, Italy uh, and Sweden in the second leg of the World Cup um, uh, sort of playoff place. Who was going to go to the World Cup in Russia next uh, yeah, next year? And um, I was kind of rooting for Sweden. I just was. Um, I think, you know, Italy have got the pedigree. Uh, they got the style. They have 75% of possession in the game. Uh, they had much more shots, etc., etc. But I only, it's funny, I, I can quote you those statistics because I saw them at the end of the game. I wasn't aware while I was watching. I was just, you know, kind of rooting for Sweden. Can they, you know, hold on and, and get through? It was a bit of an underdog call. So I've got nothing against Italy, honestly. In fact, I love Italy. Um, but I was just rooting for them. But you just recognize that you're prejudging certain things, whether it's teams or players. And of course, that translates into every walk of life. It's not just a sporting analogy. So that's my point there. I just wanted to talk about our instincts. So we need to have good instincts and this balance between our gut and our mind and maybe being able to control our emotions. And the second point I really wanted to cover was, it's an interesting one, this. It's, um, it's called pivoting. Um, and, and pivoting, this comes from a, the book, uh, The Lean Startup by Eric Reiss. I think it's Reiss, R-E-I-S. Uh, which I read a little while ago. And um, one of the big takeaways there is um, he's talking about startup businesses and particularly tech startups and the concept of a minimum viable product and then pivoting. So they put they, they produce what's called a minimum viable product. They put it out there into the marketplace to test it. And of course, they maybe have a preconceived idea of what will work and what won't work. But the market will direct, the market will tell them what actually it needs and what it doesn't value. And then they can pivot. They can actually change direction as a result of that. And you get this pivot, pivot, pivot. And so uh, I, I took that away from there, um, from this particular book, that we need to be able to pivot. What does that mean? Well, it means we need to remain true to our vision or our reason why. But we can, you know, the, the, how we do things can be very, very flexible. So in other words, uh, if we've got a purpose and our purpose is, you know, as mine was in, originally to replace my pension or plug a hole in my pension, it later became financial independence. Yours might be that. It might be different. It might be to support worthy causes. It might be like Jane, that you had an immediate burning need to replace an income because of uh, a loss of a job or something like that. It could be a number of reasons, but that reason why needs to remain fixed and solid and, and set in place. But how you achieve it, like the strategy, the way you go about it, can be fluid, it can be flexible, it can be pivoted uh, to go from one means to another means. And that's exactly what Jane did, of course. So Jane talked about the property business, she talked about uh, the other business to try and you know give that a bash. At the end of it, she's, she's pushed those to one side and she's actually just gone for it with uh, going back into freelancing work in her specialist area. And there's nothing wrong with that, it's perfectly fine. In fact, uh, I'm going to come on to it in a minute um, of, of kind of knowing how to make that judgment call, really. 
So in other words, don't get too hung up on the how. Focus instead on the why and be a little bit flexible with the how. And if the how isn't working, well, I'm going to come on to that in a second. Um, so, um, yeah, in fact, let me do that now. So the third thing is really knowing when to quit. So if you if you think, right, I'm going to do this, I'm going to, I'm going to, I've, I've set my course, um, I'm going to achieve financial independence of X thousand pounds per month within so many years time, 3,000 a month within two years time, for example, and I'm going to go and do it through um, flipping property. Well, if, if, if you're not actually, it's not working, then be prepared to quit. Know when to quit. You see, people see perseverance as a positive trait. And indeed, it is. I think, you know, uh, we, we do need the ability to follow through and complete things. But it could also be the very thing that's holding us back from remodeling, refocusing, rebuilding, or re even reinventing ourselves and our business approach. Now, Jane's just done that. She's just actually reviewed her situation. And I have to, I gave her tremendous credit because she knew when to quit. She drew a line under it. And, you know, there was a lot of uh, emotion invested into it, a lot of time invested into it, and no doubt a lot of money invested into the two businesses that she'd been working on so hard over the last couple of years, which I've been watching for and hearing about from, from a relatively, um, a relative distance, if you like, um, and, and been able to see that. And she knew when to quit. And I've got a lot of admiration for that. So, you know, know when to quit. Um, sometimes there's some tough lessons in life. If we stay too long in, in somewhere doing something, and we just might end up paying the price. And some perhaps some references to, to make you understand that or help you understand that a little bit better. Where are all the travel agents now? Where are the retail insurance brokers? You know, everything's online, isn't it? You know, it's, there aren't any sort of high street shops with travel agents and, and not many um, insurance brokers these days. And the ones that are, they're sort of consolidated and they do things in a very different way to the way they used to, perhaps. So where are they? So if you stay too long doing something, you might just end up paying the price. So also, if you're just beating your head on a brick wall, stop. And, you know, I've got a personal example of this I wanted to share with you. Um, it was some years ago now, and I, I, I'd spent a number of, um, I've gone through a number of career phases, um, and, you know, several, in fact, and I was going through a career phase where I was, um, I was a consultant. And in fact, I had a major contract with a former employer and they kept me very busy. And I knew that I needed to develop uh, additional clients. Um, but unfortunately, I was so busy, you know, working for this major client that I didn't have a lot of time for, for business development. Many of you work in freelancing or contracting or anything like that, you know that there's kind of a feast and famine. There's the project and then there's the dead time where you're trying to find a project. And that was kind of, you know, a little bit like me. I was kind of preoccupied with this big, um, big contract and I deliberately made it a four-day maximum. I capped it at four days. At least I was allowing one day uh, for, you know, business development to find other, other work, if you like. And, you know, it was, it was kind of, it didn't work out so well. I got, got bits and pieces is really the point. And then suddenly one day there was a change of personnel at the top in the, uh, in the company I was working with as a consultant and they just ended the contract. That was it. They just ended the contract pretty much overnight. And I lost a significant contract four days a week, as I mentioned. It was worth quite a lot of money to me. I didn't have anything else to, uh, to really fall back on. But I decided to persevere with being uh, a consultant or a business advisor, in fact. And I went and saw, I think it was around about 77 small business owners. And most of them said no. 
to my consulting services. I think I pitched at the wrong end of the market in reality. I mean, small businesses are very tight on cash and perhaps have, you know, can't afford uh, some of the consulting services that, you know, I'd been delivering to a medium size or quite a large business before and who could afford my services. Uh, so I, I went through 77 businesses. I did get some work, but it was it was painful. And it was, you know, it was uh, it just wasn't working out. And in the end, I just decided, yep, I know I need to quit this. I need to stop because it's just not working out. So there you go. Know when to quit. I did. Jane did. And we all do. We all need to know when. The fourth one to cover is uh, what I call going with the grain or going with the flow. Now this is one where it could be you could be thinking, woo, this is this is woo-woo, Richard, you're getting into woo-woo territory here. But you think of it this way: when you go with the grain, a grain of wood, for example, uh, you could, you know, for example, you could slide a silk scarf down a, a plank of wood, and if you're going with the grain, it'll just slip down quite easily from top to bottom. If you get that analogy in your mind, but if you try and go across the grain, it'll stick, you'll get caught. And um, it'll, you know, it'll get caught on splinters. And of course, um, I was going to use a more crude example of maybe sliding down on your backside. And I probably just left you with that idea in your mind, haven't I? So going with the grain, it's easy. Going against it, you probably get some splinters. But how do we do this? Well, we need to know ourselves. We need to know what we stand for and what we stand against. And we also need to know what motivates us and what does not. So, um, you know, the... A personal example I wanted to share with you is myself. Uh, I, I'm trying to elaborate a little bit on my own personal experiences just to illustrate to you. Um, you may or may not resonate with some of these. But I do remember um, I worked for a number of large corporate uh, organizations and some blue chip companies, some well-known names. And they were tremendous companies. It's just that I personally didn't really fit. I personally sat better in a small business environment, a medium-sized company. Uh, than I did in a large corporate environment. I didn't really know why, uh, but I'm going to give you a bit of a clue in a second because I'm going to mention um, some of that. It's, um, there's a theory, if you like. It's the two-factor theory or Hertzberg's motivation hy hygiene theory. And this separates um, factors that cause job satisfaction and job dissatisfaction. And they're different. The things that make you satisfied are different to the things that make you dissatisfied. And that's the point that Hertzberg made in his uh, two-factor theory or his motivation hygiene theory. So go and look it up. Um, but just to give you a bit of an insight, there were motivators, which caused satisfaction, and there were hygiene factors, which led to dissatisfaction. So in other words, it wasn't just that one balance, it had to get two things right. Some of the motivators included challenging work, recognition, responsibility, doing something meaningful, uh, taking or, st or strongly influencing decisions, achievement, advancement, personal growth, and things like that, really. Um, but on the hygiene factor side, it included things like status, salary, fringe benefits, job security, policies and procedures, and things like that. Now, we could all go and work for a worthy cause um, organization, for example, uh, a charity or something like that, um, which might motivate us. We might be, you know, we could buy into the purpose. We might have a lot of responsibility in our role and that kind of thing. And that would motivate us. But if we had, you didn't have enough money to live on and there was too much compliance and policy and procedure for our liking that constrained what we wanted to do, that would demotivate us or make us dissatisfied. And of course, this translates not just to the job 
workplace on. <laughs> if you're thinking to yourself, yeah, that's me at work. Um, it applies in every you know working situation, whether it's a property business, your, your, your place at work or whatever. So there are these motivators and these hygiene factors that can work with you and against you. And in fact, motivators are, are something that pulls you towards something. Whereas the hygiene factors are what push you away from something. So look it up. Look up um, Hasberg, um, Hasberg's, Hertzberg's motivation hygiene theory and you'll see what I mean. Um, and you never know. You might decide that in the workplace it's not right for you right now. And I've got a few other links that I could share with you if you just want to drop me a line on that. But it applies, as I mentioned, to property as well. And just think about the kind of property strategy that you're carrying out and whether it actually suits you, whether you're motivated or you'll be dissatisfied by some of the things that you'll have to do. And when I when I sort of coach and mentor people, I talk about this quite a lot because it isn't just the flavor of the month strategy, it's also what's personally suitable to us, of course. Anyway, moving on, fifth one, shared values. Shared values is the fifth one. And values is one of those things that people talk about, but you know, <laughs> not everybody knows what it means. So values are what we stand for, what we believe in, how we do things and how we would like to be treated. Those are values. And they can include things like trust and honesty and respect, fun, independence, engagement, family, health, spiritual faith, things like that. There's there's hundreds, literally, of values that we could have. And there's no right or wrong answer. Our values are personal to us and, you know, they're right for us, but we need to know what they are. So, uh, to understand our core values, and we don't need like hundreds of them, we just need to know maybe the three to six that are most important to us. Uh, there's there's a tool that you can use. I'll reference it in the show notes. It's, uh, it's, it's produced by the Mind Tools, and there's various exercises you can take from other people, but I just put a link to one of them because uh, it was quite simple, in fact, and it gave some examples as well. I thought that was good. Simple and examples, so you can relate to it perhaps. So the Mind Tools get, give a, a values exercise, so you can, you can go and find out what your values are if you don't know them already. You, you probably do deep down, but unless you've written them down, you've really thought it through, and you really test them, on a day-by-day basis, um, then perhaps they're not quite your values. And by the way, don't have values which you think you should have. Have values which are real for you, um, not not um, not not just something that you think you should believe in. Uh, somebody else's values, even. So, just as I illustrate, my core values now are trust, integrity, respect, curiosity, and shared learning. They're my main core values, and um, I. Uh, Certainly from a sort of a work work orientation point of view, at least, or a business orientation point of view. And, you know, to illustrate what how this can happen, this clash of values, um, I had a, a would-be joint venture partner approach me recently. And um, they wanted to bring, bring a project to me and me to go in as a co-investor in this particular project. And um, they, they were in a situation where they had other partners who were going to commit funds, but they, they basically got cold feet. And they backed out and um, it, the, the particular person concerned was in a bit of a spot really, uh, wanted to proceed with the project and um, you know we'd done some things together over, over a couple of years and he, he knew what I stood for I guess and, and, and perhaps knew that maybe I had a couple of quid lying around and uh, thought I might want to get involved in a, in a project with you know pretty decent returns. So that was the main thing, a project that had decent returns but as this story unfolds uh, later on, um, basically, that particular person dropped me a note to say the other people had come back on the scene and he'd just taken a, a decision to go with them and not with me. And, of course, 
he he basically said yes to the people who previously said no to him, and he said no to the person, i.e., me, um, who previously said yes to him, and um, yeah, I, it didn't sit very well with me, in all honesty. And and whilst he did talk about potential for doing other things together, I can categorically say that I won't, because it, we've got a clash of values quite clearly there. I have a lot of respect, you know, for people. And I didn't feel that that way of doing things was respectful. Now, I understand things can change. Well, maybe we could have a conversation. That was the point. There was no conversation. It was a decision that was communicated. And, you know, I'd gone from perhaps bailing somebody out of a difficult position to being thrown under the bus in quite a short space of time. So I didn't think our values particularly aligned. And, yeah, let's just say that I won't be doing a joint venture with that particular person again. And, you know, that's fine. They've got their own values, their own way of looking at things. And I don't have a problem with that. It's just that I'm not going to, you know, uh, work with them again. So it's just, I think it's really important to understand. And I kind of made the mistake of not really testing the values before I said yes. And, uh, you know, there's a bit of a painful lesson, I suppose, I'm being really honest with you. Um, I perhaps should have done a little bit more insight and checking. It's not always easy to see, in all honesty. Um, so, you know, I'll forgive myself. I'm not going to beat myself up too much. But I've learned a lesson through that. One final point there is that I've talked about values and this uh, exercise that you can go through, and there's a link in the show notes, as I mentioned. But if you've got a little bit more time, I want to delve into this subject a little bit further. And a book I've quoted in the past, and I'll quote again now, is called The Values Factor, and it's written by Dr. John D. Martini. So um, give that a whirl as well if you want to look into that subject a bit more. So I guess in conclusion, we're holistic people, and we've got a balance of thought and feeling, rational and instinctive and also flexible and immovable. We therefore need to recognize all of the various dimensions that we are, that others around us are, and indeed the environments that we operate in have characteristics as well. We need to, we need to fit into, if you like, we need to understand ourselves, the people that we uh, encounter, and the environments that we're in. As I mentioned, this holistic imbalance, um, this equilibrium that we need to operate in. So it's not completely woo-woo, is it? Is actually very real and sometimes you might you know be wondering to yourself why have things happened as they have um, why did you not you know why do you make the same mistakes even just think about those things for a minute the, the five points that I've covered off today just whizzing at my show notes uh, our instincts the balance between gut and, uh, and our mind pivoting um, really just you know changing what's not important which is the how but keeping consistent with what is important which is the why Knowing when to quit, when to stop banging our head against a brick wall. Going with the grain or the flow, it's a lot easier than going against it. If you feel you're swimming against the tide, you're probably going against the flow or against the grain. So maybe stop. And of course, having shared values. Knowing what your values are, knowing what the values of the people that you're around are as well. And of course, you can take decisions accordingly. Accept and tolerate everyone. I'm certainly a firm believer in that. Perhaps getting to commercial arrangements with people, it's better if you've got a strong alignment with values, I would suggest. So, know what our core values are and our purposes and stick to these like a rock. Although these can still change, but they should only change rarely and slowly. And with the rest, the how-to, the where, and quite, and, uh, sorry, where quite often, also and who with, these can change more quickly and they can certainly be more flexible and fluid. 
But perhaps I shall, you know, finish this particular um, relay, if you like, of information and, and the whole sort of learning of uh, my conversation with Jane and this Woo Woo Wednesday topic. I, I'll, leave, I'll leave Seth Godin to sum it up a little better than me, perhaps. And this is taken from his short book, uh, The Dip. And he says, quit the wrong stuff, stick with the right stuff, have the guts to do one or the other. Now, of course, knowing which is right and which is wrong is another question, but I'll leave it at there for now. And now, where you can go for more great resources with a shout out. Okay, so I've got, I've got as far as sharing <laughs> all of those sort of softer issues, but uh, perhaps talking about doing the right stuff, do any of, uh, any of these approaches that I'm about to relay appeal to you uh, or resonate with you in some way? Um, you're looking to find property investments that can produce high income returns on your cash investment relatively passively? Well, this is what's known as high yield buy to let. Alternatively, you're looking for ways to make your investment fund work harder for you. So to achieve your financial goals through forcing the appreciation rather than sitting and waiting for natural house price appreciation over time. This would be better known as the buy, refurbish, refinance or BRR model. Or perhaps you're looking for projects where you can realize added value in a property investment or even a mini development to be more active and turn out you know, some decent lumps of cash in a relatively short period of time. Well, this would be more commonly known as property trading. So maybe all of the above? <laughs> Perhaps not. Maybe one of those three uh, subjects has resonated with you. And if you found yourself nodding to at least one of those points, then you really should check out my new property deal tips service. In the last week, we shared just these uh, following examples uh, of property projects. For example, there was a lease extension project, which is a largely a paper exercise. It's just pushing paper. You can actually get someone to do the pushing of paper for you. And it produced a staggering £21,000 plus of flip profit on a, or a 57% return on investment BRR based on having less than £4,000 of your personal cash invested. What's the catch? Well, you have to wait two years to extend the lease. But you get, all the, you get to rent out the property whilst you wait. So not too bad. Alternatively, if you prefer the lumpy money of property trading, then we also shared two flip projects in Salisbury. One had a projected profit of £60,000 plus, and the other one nearly £90,000 in profit, both realisable in around 9 to 12 months. Income replacement, anybody? We also had a couple of solid projects with between 10 and 13% return on investment on cash funds left in on a BRR basis as well. So we shared buy to let, we shared BRRs and we shared flip projects over the last week alone. And um, previous to that, there was some of the data I shared last week as well. So you can see the sorts of projects that we're sharing. Now, the subscribers to the Property Deal Tips service saw all of these projects and could pick and choose which one suited them and their personal situation the best if they fancied. Perhaps going with the flow, eh? <laughs> well, I've got a limited number of subscriptions open at what might surprise you is a very good value subscription price for such property deals. And right now the subscription is set at £97 for a year, but you can also pay monthly at £9.97. Um, how long for? I can't really say. I'm really just uh, getting some numbers for it at the moment at the lower subscription price and then probably reset uh, the subscription level up to what it probably should be a little bit later. 
But if you consider for a moment that it takes around 45 hours to locate deals like this, if you don't believe me, have a look at the website. I'm going to quote you in a minute. I'll tell you some real examples where it did take around about that sort of time to find a project. Alternatively, you can pay a deal sourcer, probably on average about £4,000 for those projects I've mentioned to you. Um, but you'd be wise to check it out, wouldn't you? Oh, and you'll also be helping me to fund the operations of the Property Voice at the same time. So you can feel you know, a little bit like you're helping to, to keep this resource going, whilst all ha also having the opportunity to snap up a, a great returning property investment in the process. So we all win then, don't we? <laughs> so just head over to the Property Deal Tips page and, uh, and go ahead and sign up. Um, there's a 28-day uh, money-back guarantee if you don't find the service useful, so you've got nothing to lose really. The site is uh, it's thepropertyvoice.net slash propertydealtips. And I'd love to see you come and join us. Okay, so I just want to draw a line there, if you like. In, in closing for today, you, you can, of course, email me if you want to talk about any of the woo-woo stuff we talked about in the first half, or indeed if you want to know a little bit more about the Property Deal Tips service we talked about right at the end there. Uh, you can reach me, podcast, at thepropertyvoice.net. And if you want to talk about anything else from today's show or more generally in property investing, I'd love to hear from you. Also, the show notes will be over at the website, thepropertyvoice.net, as usual. But for now, all I want to say is thank you very much for listening once again this week. And until next time on the Property Voice podcast, it's ciao, ciao. Thank you for listening today. Now head over to thepropertyvoice.net for more inspirational content and get updates through our mailing list. Join us next time on the Property Voice podcast. And if you enjoyed the show, please don't forget to rate us on iTunes.